Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We are in the days of unleavened bread and Shabbat Shalom. So today we are jumping back into our Sabbath study. We're in the book of Nahum and chapter 2. Nahum chapter 2. I'm excited about this. A few things I want to give you a heads up before we actually turn to the text. So turn there in your Bible. We're going to be looking at the arising of the Punisher. The arise of the Punisher. We're going to be looking at Mystery Babylon because there's nothing new under the sun. Mystery Babylon is abducting and Mystery Babylon is seducing the captives. As it was then, so it is today. We're also going to be looking at trespassing into unsanctioned species. Unsanctioned dimensions and unsanctioned timeline breaches. And you're like, well, how can I get this from Nahum chapter 2? Well, bear with me, because you're going to see that Nahum is a prophet, and that prophetical voice speaks as it was then into our days today, because we're dealing with today, mystery Babylon. Nahum was dealing with the foreshadow, which is Babylon literal. And finally, we're going to see the revealing, the revealing of how we, you and me, we were created to live as interdimensional beings, living with our Creator in a cyclical reality beyond space and time. That's how we were created. But because of the fall, we are now trapped on a linear timeline and we will die within a day, within a 1,000-year day, right? Which has now been greatly diminished to 120 years. But the ancients lived to that 1,000-year day. Ultimately, the prophet Nahum tells us there is a final showdown. There's a final showdown coming, and those in rebellion against the Creator, Yahuwah, there's nothing that they can do. It is set, it is ordained, and Babylon then, as mystery Babylon today, there is a final showdown coming. Nahum chapter 2, it is written, He that dashes in pieces rises up before the face. Guard the roads. Watch the way, make your loins strong, and fortify your power mightily. So there comes a day of reckoning. Can we all agree on that? There is a day of reckoning for all mankind. And you can look out there and you think, how can the evil prosper? Isn't that what the prophets say? But there is a day of reckoning for all mankind. Rises up before the face like a shadowy punisher from the midst of the earth. Or a tornado that suddenly appears upon the horizon. So Assyria's punisher in our text takes the form of the scarlet Babylonian clad coalition. Look at verse 3. The punisher is in fact Yahuwah working his will through the conflicts of the nations. Yes, Yahuwah is the punisher. 
Yahweh will only allow his covenant people, this is the good news, Yahweh will only allow his covenant people to be abused by the nations for so long before he says, that's enough. Before he intercedes on their behalf. I suggest to you that we are at that threshold. We are at that threshold. We are at such a time now as the nations are trembling and instability. You don't realize how much instability. Look at the UK and Brexit. Look at Europe. Look what's going on here in America. The nations are trembling at such an instability threshold that is rising and rising and rising. In the midst of these seas of change, there's a remnant flock. There's a remnant flock that are coming together at the feasts and festivals and Sabbaths of Yahuwah. They are realizing his great name shall be broadcast to the nations. They have the blood tipped ear and they are, yes, we are the remnant flock and we are being resurrected in the very midst of the turmoil of these nations. And we are a peculiar people. You're more peculiar than I am, but we are a peculiar, peculiar people and it's all going to happen before the coming judgment. Look at verse 2. For Yahuwah, what will he do? He will restore the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. That is all 12 tribes and the stranger grafted in as one. He will restore the excellency of Israel for the oppressors have trampled on them and destroyed their vine branches. The shield of his mighty men is made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. This is Babylon, the mystery, scarlet whore. The Merkavot, the chariot shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the horsemen, well, they shall be terribly shaken. The chariot shall rage in the streets. They shall rush one another in broad ways. They shall seem like flaming torches. They shall run like lightning. I mean, this is war poetry. The best war poetry that has ever been written. Look at verse 3 and look at verse 4. This is describing the onslaught of the Babylonians upon the suburbs of Nineveh with the flaming polished shield sparkling in the daylight and the armor of the Babylonian war chariots that were thrun thundering down. And you think that you're nervous when you see those trains with all of the UN and all of the military machinery that's being transported. Have you noticed it yeah. up and down the country? Yeah. Because since the Iraq war, where do you think all of that military paraphernalia now belongs to your local police department? There was a day when I first came to America in the early 90s where a policeman up there in Seattle, Seattle Police Department, they had a nice crisp shirt on and pressed trousers with a crease down the, down the middle. Oh, no more. They look like they're going to swing through your roof with their full tack gear on. You see, we are becoming militarized no different as Mystery Babylon as Babylon was back then with those war chariots flashing like flaming torches and lightning in the very, very sunlight of the day. Look at verse 5. 
He shall remember his nobles. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall hurry to the wall. And the defense, well, that shall be prepared. So as the commanders back in the day in the history of the text, as the commanders rushed to the wall, they were rushing to the wall to defend its breaches. But they would stumble in their haste and then they would find that they were unable to defend it. The wall is breached at this point in the text, but now the invading hordes wouldn't just enter through the breaching in the wall. The very thing that had protected Nineveh, that Nineveh was so proud about, was her canals and her waterways. But that became her very undoing, because now the hordes were using the canals and the waterways to come in and breach the city, because they flowed right into the very cities, leading the invaders downstream into the palace itself. Checkmate. Checkmate. And there we have the fall of mighty Nineveh. Look at verse 6, describing this. The gates of the rivers shall be opened, and the place shall be dissolved. And Huzaz, the Malka, the queen, shall be led away captive. Northward she shall be brought up, and her female servants beating on their breasts, mourning in their hearts like doves. So the city here is personified as a woman. A woman who's what? Taken captive. A woman with her ladies in waiting, mourning at her roughshod treatment because she's being abused. And this is a terrible abduction. And here's the reality that finally impacts us today. As it was then, so it shall be again. Nineveh was wicked with kidnapping. Kidnapping was prevalent in Nineveh. And there was occult slavery. It was the run-of-the-mill run daily occurrence. But what happened is that all of that abuse, all of that slavery that was the run-of-the-mill, it finally came back to her came down on her own very head. What she did, or turned a blind eye to, came crushing down on her tenfold. And what our politicians, what the elite and the globalists have been doing, it's actually gonna come down on their head. They're gonna be exposed and it's gonna come back to them tenfold. What do I mean? Today, we live in a world where our nation is in bed with Saudi Arabia, the leading nation in child trafficking and the abuse of women. Yet, we turn a blind eye in our corridors of power. We take her money, we let her fund our universities, we let her fund Planned Parenthood, we let her fund our hospitals, we let our, her fund our politicians and power players. So then both our intellectual health and our physical health actually becomes infected with her perversion and her subversion. 
And that's what's happened in our culture. We've been infected by Mystery Babylon. Because Mystery Babylon, she is arising and the prophecies tell us so. But it's all going to return on the nations themselves and it is going to be a surprise. And the prophet Nahum says it's a day of reckoning. As they're taken captive by the very perversion and subversion that they themselves have been meddling in. You see, the nations are actually right now trespassing, and this is going to freak some people out, but the nations are actually trespassing in unsanctioned species. They are trespassing in unsanctioned species, unsanctioned dimensions, and unsanctioned timeline breaches. And it's all going to return on the nation's heads, them very selves, unsuspecting. It's going to blow up in their face. See, out of the hollow earth, the bottomless piss, pit. Did I say piss? I think I did. Out of the bottomless piss. Well, that's what they should be doing, right? It's sewage. It's sewage. It's garbage. Let's try that again. Out of the hollow earth, out of the bottomless pit, the most angelically beautiful women with gorgeous flowing hair, the book of Revelation tells us, perfect specimens of mankind, breasts and wings like fairies, except they're going to swarm. They're going to become so numerous. The book of Revelation tells us that they're going to be as numerous as locusts with a sting that follows them. A sting, though, that won't bring death even if you cry out for it. Even though mankind would desire it, death will not show itself to them. These are demonic hybrids that mankind has been seeking seeking power, seeking knowledge, and seeking favors from. And in turn, now they've partaken of the poison and made the trade. There is no return. There is no return. Only those who have the seal of Yahuwah on their forehead, the mind of Messiah, are going to be able to navigate the perilous days ahead. I mean, let me explain. We've talked about this before, but let me explain the Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 breaches, okay? Because this is very important. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We've studied it before when we've done the Torah portion, Noah. But some that are new in the audience most probably are like, oh my goodness, this is way too much. But bear with me. We were created as inter dimensional beings who lived beyond a linear timeline. We were created to commune with Yahuwah in his dimension and yes, to live forever. That was how we were created. We were not dimensionally restricted. Now listen, we were not dimensionally restricted and we were not created to live on a linear timeline. We simply weren't. 
We were created as interdimensional beings living with our Creator in a cyclical reality beyond space and time. And that is our desire. And the Ruach in us testifies to that truth. But at the fall, two things happened. Number one, we were confined to a dreadful thing called a linear timeline reality where death would come within a day. And number two, we were banished from the presence of Yahuwah and exiled to a three-dimensional reality. Two things happened. Now that's bad enough, but it got worse. Oh, it got way worse. Because there'd already been a rebellion in heaven. Ezekiel 28 and Revelation 12:4, where one-third of the heavenly angels fell. They became known as the watchers and they spawned the Nephilim. The watchers spawned the Nephilim, the offspring of an interbreeding program that took place between celestial beings angels, or malachim in the Hebrew, and the daughters of Adam, man. And the offspring, the spawn of the watchers, were called the Nephilim, and it comes from the Hebrew word nafal, it means to fall, to fall. So the Nephilim, backing up here to the text of Genesis 3 and 6, the breaches here, the Nephilim are the hybrid children of the watchers or the fallen angels. They're a corrupted, listen to this, they're a corrupted spirit that are cast down into Tartarus and when the Nephilim were slaughtered, which they were, in times past, I pose you this question, where did they go? They were disembodied spirits and they didn't have anywhere to go because they were not created by Yahuwah. They were a hybrid. Right. They have no bodies to be housed in in the resurrection. They have nowhere to go. So their genetic hybrid material bodies rot, but their spirits are not from Yahuwah. They have a corrupted spirit that is trapped between Tartarus and the third heaven. They're demons. They're ghosts. They're ETs. They're aliens. They're the spirits of the Nephilim. And the younger generation are connecting with them. They're connecting with them through all of the pharmacia through all of the occult magic, and I do use that word deliberately. And this is what we're seeing, even alien greys. All of this stuff that people write off as, oh, that silliness. No, the biblical reality tells us that these are the disembodied spirits, the Nephilim, that are trapped between Tartarus and the third heaven. And the occult, Luciferic realm get their power, their occult, from their power by trading. If you read Ezekiel 28, it says that Satan, Satan was on the trading floors 
of heaven. He's trying to do some trading and people are willing to trade for a temporary power now. And this is where we're at in the reality of our linear timeline is the elite, the occult, are trying to design hybrid bodies through all of this transhumanism to house who? To house the Nephilim, hence the prophecies of Revelation that literally will come true. Literally will come true because their genetic hybrid bodies rot, but their spirits are not from Yahuwah. They are a corrupted spirit that is trapped, trapped, I say, in a realm between Tartarus and the third heaven. This is the powers behind the occult. This is the powers behind all of the Luciferic stuff that is coming out of Hollywood, that is coming out of Washington DC, that is funded by those that kidnap and abuse and enslave Islam, Saudi Arabia, which basically funds a whole bunch of stuff all over the world, more and more. Because the New World Order are busy right now engineering bodies to house them. And some of you are like, this is too much for me. Bear with me, please. This is why Yahusha went down to Tartarus to proclaim a seed line victory over these watchers. The children of the watchers, the demons without genetic material matches to inhabit, they know that their parents are cast into Tartarus until the allotted time. And Yahusha then says this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. The demons responded to Yahusha and they said this. They cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Yahusha, son of Elohim? Are you come here to, to torment us before the allotted time? They know they have an allotted time. That's why Legion freaked out. Oh, please, oh, please, I beg you, do not hurt me. Please do not throw me into Tartarus. And Yahushua responded with, okay, bacon breath, go back down into those pigs, right? I mean, that, that, that's like in some weird King Jimmy translation somewhere, I'm sure, right? Bacon breath. Take that bacon breath. <laughs> but how do we know this? This is through the historical writings like Jubilees chapter 10. It tells us that even 90%, 90% of the genetic hybrid children, that's the Nephilim, were thrown down into Tartarus. So what happened to the remaining 10%? 10% were allowed by Yahuwah to plague men. 10% of the Nephilim were allowed to plague men as demons, as aliens, as LSD trips, where you can connect with them. You really can. I did a ton of LSD when I was younger. You can connect with demons because you're opening up portals. And people don't realize it. It's some scary stuff, some scary stuff. Praise Yahweh, I was delivered from that. And I'll use that testimony now of that to do good, to show that this is a reality. People are, oh, what a bunch of... No, 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 no. 
I've seen a lot in my life and Yahweh will use that for his good now in these last days because people want to be, oh, that doesn't happen. Oh, 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 oh no, it's real. It is very, very real. I had, I had friends back up in the day that were heavily, heavily into the occult, heavily, heavily under the influence of, of LSD and heroin, and right before they committed suicide, they saw all kinds of demons, and one of them was a student at the Seattle Art Museum, at the Seattle um, University studying art, a phenomenal sketch artist. And I remember looking through his sketch pad of his house, of everything that he was seeing before the night that our friend, his roommate, took his pistol and shot himself in the head because he couldn't handle it anymore. And I walked in with my friend, and this, this, is, this is some crazy stuff to share online, but it's a reality that many people haven't had to experience, praise Yahuwah, but I can carry it forward now and go, this I understand now, it makes sense. Because this is real. And now I'm dealing with a whole nother generation, 25 years later, that are way worse than I was. Way worse, because they've got the whole thrust of our society supporting them, saying, oh no, it's good, it's good, it's good. All this fluidity, all these drugs, all of this prescription medication, and you know, and they have all of these smartphones with access to everything that we never had. Their reality is being shaped by the Nephilim. By the Nephilim. And there's a whole generation growing up like this. And it is terrifying. If it's not, you're not paying attention. But let me get back to the reality of what I'm trying to communicate through the second chapter of Nahum. Nahum's dealing with Babylon. But if you and I don't wake up to the realities of mystery Babylon, then we are not going to be able to survive the upcoming years ahead of us. Because everything that Nahum is actually entangling with and fighting against is on a Babylonian Nineveh level. But it is a shadow of what the last generation will be doing on a spiritual, supernatural, dealing with mystery Babylon. Does that make sense? Yes. And this is why the prophecies are alive. Satan and his minions can wreak hell on earth in any form but one. There is one form that they cannot wreak hell on earth. They cannot corrupt the image of Yahuwah without being thrown into Tartarus. There was only one incursion of the fallen angels mixing with men pre-flood and what happened to them? There was a 90% depletion of forces. Are they going to risk the last 10% being depleted 90%? No. So they're not going to do that because that's the one thing that gave them a 90% depletion of forces. And now there's 10% that are out there plaguing men. So they're not going to do what they did back in Genesis again because it would be a decimation of 90% of the remaining 10. 
Does that make sense? So they've got to come up with something different. This is where Mystery Babylon comes into play. There is no way that Satan is going to risk losing his depleted forces with another hybrid sex show. It's not going to happen. He's already outnumbered two to one, okay? He's already outnumbered two to one. So to do it, what's he going to do? He has to lure... He has to lure mankind to trespass into his dimension with AI and with dimensional breaching. And this is why you are seeing such a thrust of this AI and dimensional breaching right now, because it is to connect with the Nephilim. This dimensional breaching and AI technology allows his fallen ones to interact with man and teach them how to create the hybrid without actual sexual intermingling. Because sexual intermingling with humankind is going to create a 90% depletion of forces. He cannot risk it. He's already outnumbered two to one. Instead, it's done in our dimension. Listen, it's done in our dimension with hybrid science, SRA, and alien abduction, and planned parenthood, backdoor contracts with living specimens sold for harvesting. Planned parenthood are key to this Nephilim contracting. Key. There are real people. It's going to freak some of you out. There are real people devoted called body hackers. And the joke, the cons on us. It really is. And you don't think the cons on us? Their website is called bodyhackingcon.com because the cons on you because you don't believe it's true. It's called bodyhackingcon.com. There are neurohackers and there's also soul machines. Don't be don't don't believe me. I mean visit those addresses. I mean it's scary. Maybe you shouldn't, but it's it's a real thing. You can even have dinner together at the Cannibal Club in LA. I mean, I'm laying bare here synthetic biology and digital biopiracy. That's what it is. It is synthetic biology and digital biopiracy. And I don't want to overwhelm you. I really don't. But we're dealing in the text with Babylon. But we're dealing in our life with mystery Babylon. And the prophet Nahum can help us connect and understand the days ahead. Because we really need to be that generation that keeps our boots near our bed when we go to sleep at night. Because these whack jobs, they are working with black programmable matter called goo, which is the computer DNA sequence of a computer pro program to make three-dimensional beings out of nothing. 
and who's going to house this black programmable matter? Who's going to go into those bodies? The Nephilim. And this is where we're at. This is the new birthing of this new race without a soul. Why do you think I've been emphasizing so much in this ministry about being bishops of your own soul and being able to discern between your flesh, your soul and the spirit? Because we're the generation that has to become bishops of our own soul because the mystery Babylon out there are trying to create another program that if we can't discern the master's body and our own flesh, soul and spirit and ascend from the flesh through the soul and actually ascend to become spiritual and alert, we're going to fall with the rest of them out there. That is why I've been emphasizing this. And it's so important that we understand to be bishops of our own soul. This is the new birthing of a new race without a soul. This is cloning with writable DNA and 3D printing and mind consciousness downloading. The elite are actually going to be able to shapeshift. They are actually going to be able to shapeshift. The elite believe that they can escape our dimension by creating empty vessels to dwell in. You can see it. You really can. They want to use the tech to live forever in the physical but also to use it to enslave future generations. This is the abomination that is put in the temple of Elohim that causes desolation, where Elohim cannot dwell because they're no longer human, just like the Nephilim, corrupted spirits that are trapped in a realm between Tartarus and the third heaven, because only spirit and water can inherit, can inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah. John 3, 5, Yahushua answered, Verily, verily, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of Yahuwah unless they are born of water and spirit. You have to come as a man and you have to die as a man. Or you come as a man and you become deceived into transhumanism and you become Lucifer's slave trapped between dimensions here but not really here and you know the millennials they're going to go for it they're going to go for it because they have been reared with all this video gaming and all of these fake personalities and personages online and it is very easy for them to make the shift to what they believe is a higher consciousness and the culture is going to support it support it so this transgender movement, it's all part of the AI because AI obviously is binary. 
So that's why there's the big shift because you've got to first deal with the natural before you can kick them into the full-fledged Nephilim deception of, hey, we'll take your consciousness and put it in another body and you will live forever. That's the big lie. Just as it was then, so it will be again in our days. But we need to come as a man and die as a man and be resurrected to glory. There are so many demonic spirits in people today. They mask themselves as angels of light and they promise enlightenment, a promise they have no power to fulfill. Look at verse 8 of our text. But Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, but now flee away. Stop, stop, shall they cry, but none shall look back. Because once you cross that threshold, there is no looking back. As it is with us, once you put your hand to the plow, you had better not look back, otherwise you are not fit for the kingdom. So it works both ways. Plunder the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold, for there is no limit to the treasure, the wealth of all the precious objects. You see, the lion itself in our text becomes the prey. Assyria was often symbolized in her sculptures as a bold lion. And now that bold lion is going to be humbled. Her statues and sculptures metaphorically toppled. Look at verse 8. But Nineveh of old was like a pool of water. So Assyria was guarded by a series of moats, canals and rivers. But now her very means of protection have become her source of destruction. Assyria the lion she filled its treasury or den with all kinds of flesh, with all kinds of tribute captured from afar, dug into her den from siege and from varying hunts out into the landscape. But now her den has been breached in the text. Her booty and tribute stripped away like flesh from the bone in the mouth of one of her baby cubs. Verse 10, she is empty and void and wasted and her heart, well, it does melt and the knees shake together and much pain is in all loins and the faces of them all gather blackness in shame. Verse 11, where is the dwelling of the lions? and the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion, even the old lion, walked, and the young lion's cubs, but none made them afraid. The lion did tear in pieces enough for his cubs, and strangled for his lioness, and filled his holes with prey, and his dens with flesh. So this really should be a solemn wake-up call for the nations that believe that they can exist independently from Yahuwah. But are they waking up? No, they're just going deeper, deeper, deeper down into the Nephilim zone. Even the strongest nations in history of mankind, once they pass the threshold of Isaiah, there's no turning back. Look what the prophet says, Isaiah 48, verse 9. For the sake of my name, I will delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, 
I'll hold it back so that you will not be cut off. You see, the kindness and long-suffering of Yahuwah, it has but one purpose. It has but one purpose and one purpose the only. The purpose of pointing people to repentance. But if an individual, if a nation exploits that purpose and it becomes before Yahuwah's face, then Yahuwah will do what? He will unveil his indignation. He will not be mocked. And the biblical reality is that nations mocked Yahuwah. And we live in a world where they are mocking the Creator daily. Mocking Him. But individuals and nations, they underestimate Yahuwah. And this is what they underestimate. They take His goodness for weakness. But Yahuwah, Yahuwah sustains. Yahuwah sustains and tolerates vessels of wrath in order, this is what they don't understand, in order to show His wrath and power. That's why He tolerates it, in order to show His wrath and power. Look what Paul says to the Romans in the second chapter and the fourth verse. Or do you presume on the richness of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that Yahweh's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But according to your hardness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of Yahweh. Paul is talking about Nineveh here. Yes, it's to the Romans, but in his mind, he knows what Nahum went through. He knows what happened back then. You see, Yahuwah lays out his intention even more in Romans chapter 9, specifically the 22nd verse, to show his wrath precisely by means of enduring in much long-suffering vessels of wrath. Romans 9.22 What if Yahuwah, willing to show his wrath, to make his power known, actually endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Because many people today in the faith are giving up and getting despondent because they're like, well, how can Yahuwah tolerate such evil? Why isn't he working in my life? Why isn't he working in judging the nations? How can... Oh, don't you understand? This is his long-suffering and forbearance for a purpose. Because when he does display his indignation, it is going to be so powerful. So as he waits like the sleeping lion, and Satan, like I said last week, is just that yapping dog, don't, don't worry, because the prophecies tell us Paul communicated it to the Romans. The patience of Yahweh with the nations has a view of to giving them an occasion to fill up their sins. Yes, fill up on your sins. Yes, go for it. Fill up on your sins. Fill up on your sins. Because it's going to make your judgment worse. 
Oh, you go, I just choke on your sins. Verse 13, behold, I am against you, says Yahweh Savot. I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. And I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers and your deeds, they shall no longer be heard. No man, no man will ever be able to say that Yahuwah did not provide the opportunity for him to repent. No man. Nor that Yahuwah did not give evidence that should have led him to do so. Yahuwah gave you the evidence to prov- for you to repent, but you didn't take note. There is none without excuse. This is Nahum's point exactly, and Paul lays it out bare to the Romans in chapter 2 and in chapter 9. He's pulling from Nahum. The vessels of wrath, they are endured in much patience, meaning that they are being given time. They're being given time for repentance. That's my testimony. How can somebody who walked Broadway up and down in 1991 in Seattle with, a, with, a, with my best friend at the time, who I didn't know because I was so into the crazy party lifestyle, but I didn't really, you know, I thought, oh yeah, he just likes to wear in black and, you know, he's just like causing trouble wearing a crucifix upside down, you know, all the time. But no, I mean, he was fully on into the occult. I just like doing drugs with the guy. And he knew where all the clubs were, right? But the rea- how could Yahweh put up with that? Because he endured that and he gave me an opportunity to repent. And thank goodness I did. But I'm without excuse, as is everybody. That's his mercy. That is his mercy. No one will ever be able to say that Yahweh did not give them an opportunity to repent, nor that Yahweh didn't give me evidence that should have led me to do so. He gave me the evidence. This is Nahum's point. This is the point of Paul, and it's laid out explicitly. The vessels of wrath are endured in much patience, meaning that they are being given time for repentance but that they are only storing up wrath for themselves. That's what it says in chapter 2, verse 5. In order that Yahweh's desire to show his wrath, Romans 9, 22, might be fulfilled in them. And I've seen it both ways. I've seen myself on the merciful side, receiving his mercy, and then I've seen my friends back in the day that continued and continued and pushed, and sin brings forth death, and it was usually at their own hands. And you witness enough of that, and you start to wonder, and you start to think about spiritual things, because he even used that darkness to wake me up to the reality of life and death. And it's in the power of the tongue. It's a lot for a lot of you to comprehend right now, but I know some of you are tracking. And, and my zeal is because I really do feel the pressingness out there in the world. I really do 
feel the pressingness as if Nahum were here in our very midst and he could see them coming down the rivers, coming down the canals, about to break down the stronghold of the walls and enter into the city and take you captive if you're not paying attention. And if I know that and if I see that and the words of the prophet are giving me this passion to communicate it, then please bear with me as I maybe tell you too much of my stories. And I don't mean to dig up the old man. He is dead. He is dead. But if I can recount to you my experiences and it helps you to frame the narrative and the landscape of where we live today, the seriousness of the matter, and the danger of sin, the occult, iniquity, and all of that that is being peddled, then let it be so. Because Yahweh hardens those that do not listen. Whatever is in you, whatever is in your heart, Yahweh will strengthen it. When, when Yahweh said that he hardened Pharaoh's heart, the reality of it, if you look at the word in the Hebrew, he strengthened Pharaoh's heart. Whatever was in Pharaoh's heart was strengthened. It became stronger. It became more strong. It endured further. Yahweh strengthened Pharaoh's heart. Yahweh endured the Think about it. Yahweh endured the repeated insults of Pharaoh's disobedience. Yet he turns every moment of patient restraint into an occasion to display his power. Yahweh maneuvers Israel. I mean, he maneuvers Israel into an impossible position. And then he furthermore incites Pharaoh to pursue them. This is maddening. And then Yahweh tells Moshe exactly why he does it. Exodus 14 verse 4. I will harden, I will strengthen Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and over all of his hosts. And the Egyptians, they shall know that I am Yahweh. So Moshe then says to fearful Israel, and they're afraid at this point in Exodus 14, for Yahweh, he's going to fight for you. And you have only to be still. Be still and know that I am Yah. So by Yahweh's patient restraint, think about this, Selah, let this marinate. Because by Yahweh's patient restraint, the great warrior of Israel draws Pharaoh and his hosts into an awesome display of wrath and power, which had long been coming, had it not? Yahuwah is patiently holding back judgment with a greater view so that he can have a greater display of wrath and power. That's why he's holding back his judgment in our day. But know this, Yahuwah is actually right now drawing the elite and their hosts 
into a showdown, to an awesome display of wrath and power, which has long been coming. Wouldn't you say? And this is where we are, just as in as Nahum, who was actually right there witnessing Babylon's demise. You do realize we are the generation that will witness mystery Babylon's demise. And as Yahuwah is patient, and we do not see the judgment coming, it only means that the judgment is going to be more glorious. But there are those like me, like you, that he has pulled out and plucked out right from the furnace and then will use for great glory. And oftentimes, those of us with the hardest backgrounds have the loudest voice to proclaim to wake up more. And I praise Yahuwah that he has withheld his judgment 25 years so that I could be a part of this great ingathering. How about you? And his long-suffering, his forbearance, it isn't a sign of weakness, it's a sign of mercy. But as the time goes by, his wrath is going to be more majestic and a greater display, like the shining chariot wheels of those in Babylon, like the lightning that strikes. But the lion sleeps, but when he awakens, he will devour the prey. This is what Nahum is prophesying. Yes, I know he's dealing with Babylon and Nineveh, but you and I are contending with giants. Mystery Babylon. The watchers, offspring, the Nephilim, AI, and trying to house and find these bodies. And this is a generation that is truly on the threshing floor of Satan. Next week, we'll jump into Nahum chapter 3. Enjoy the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Watch out. Leaven's everywhere. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah.